0: Good morning, Crossroads. Happy Fourth of July weekend to you all. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, As you've seen in the video, our freedom was very costly, was it not? These men put their uh, lives, their families, and their estates all at risk by signing that document that was really treasonous against the King of England, saying that we're done with um, your tyranny. We're done with what you're doing to our people, and we want our freedom. And so, as, as we sit here today enjoying some 246 years later, we sit here today enjoying the fruit of their sacrifice. I just wanted to remind us that freedom isn't free. It demands a sacrifice. This morning, I've entitled my message from the book of Nehemiah, Called to Sacrifice. You know, a few years ago I had the privilege to visit Arlington National Cemetery. It's, a, it's, a, it's, one, it's the second biggest military cemetery in the country. Um, it's over 600 acres of land just outside of Washington, D.C., um, adjacent to the Lincoln Memorial. You can actually see it from the Capitol Mall um, in the distance. And it's so green, at least when I visited it was super green. And uh, it was quite amazing. It took me several hours to walk the grounds. And it's hollowed grounds. I mean, just, you, you can't imagine. Nearly half a million graves are located in Arlington National Cemetery. Half a million men and women who have made sacrifices on behalf of our freedom. And so, one thing that really struck me this is the place where the, there's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, where it's guarded by these guards that. It's considered a high honor in the military to take this position, to guard the tomb uh, of the unknown soldiers who have died either in World War II, uh, Korean War, the Vietnam War. There were, there were bodies that were recovered that could never identify who they were, and they put them in the grave there at Arlington. And it just really struck me that we, as an American people, we cherish the sacrifice that those made for freedom, do we not? We dedicate an entire area of our nation's capital to this cemetery where you will find the names enshrined on these gravestones. Name after name after name has been remembered because these names represent men and women who made a sacrifice for our freedom. This morning, we're going to dive into Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, and we're gonna, once again, we're going to come across a list of names recorded for us in the Word of God, and it brings me to my central truth this morning, and that is this. God keeps a record of those who sacrifice for his kingdom and purposes. Isn't that good? Aren't you thankful that our God sees us, that our God notices when there are sacrifices made by those who are called in freedom in Christ and they are recorded for us throughout the Word of God but they're recorded somewhere else there's a word of God if you will in heaven listen to Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 I also saw the dead this is John as he's as he's caught up in a vision and he's recording what he saw in the vision I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. You ever thought that's an interesting statement? The books were opened. Where is this taking place? It's taking place in heaven. It's taking place before the throne of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was slain on earth but was resurrected by the power of God. He is not dead. He is alive, and he is reigning from his throne in heaven. And in heaven there are books. And inside those books are recorded facts. There's a record, if you will, in heaven. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. It goes on to talk about that those books, multiple volumes, if you will, record the activity of every man, woman, and child that is born on this planet. And yet there's one book that matters more than all the others, and that book is called the Book of Life. If your name is found in the Book of Life, the Bible says, then everything that's written in all the other books, anything that could be brought up as a charge against you, a charge for why you shouldn't be in heaven, Because you have failed, you have sinned, you have done something to break God's holy law, as we all have, and it's recorded in those books, it is covered by the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And if your name is written in that book, God says, hey, no charge stands because my son Jesus took the place of that sin and shame. And that is how we get into heaven. Not by what our works say in the books, because along with our evil or wrong deeds, there's also a record of all of the good things that we've done. There's a record of the sacrifices that we've made. But the Bible doesn't say that, that it's put on some sort of scale and it's weighed. No, the Bible says that we only get into heaven if our name is found in the book of life. How do you get your name in the book of life? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. You will be rescued. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever should believe in him should not perish. Should not spend eternity paying for their sins. But shall have everlasting life. That's a promise. That's a truth. That's an offer that you have to enjoy freedom. Not only now here temporarily on earth, but to enjoy freedom from the penalty of your sin forever in heaven because of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And Paul picks up this theme of these ideas of these books that are recorded with your sacrifices, your actions that are in heaven in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 11. For no one can lay any other foundation than that which has already been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, or maybe wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it. What day? That day where we appear and the books are open. That's the day that Paul has in mind, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. So there's a concept that, you know, the things that we do are weighed by God. Now, what are they weighed for? They're weighed for our motivation. Did we do this because we recognize that Jesus is deserving of our sacrifice as his people? Are we willing to say, Jesus, you died and gave your life for me, so I, in turn, make a sacrifice for you? Or are you doing it for your own applause, your own attention, your own selfish gain? Because that's the reality that God sees that no one else maybe can see on this earth. And God sees through our motivation, and whether it's a gold, silver, or costly stone work that will survive fire, it's only purified through the fire, right? Or wood, hay, and stubble, which is burned up and disappears and is worthless in God's sight. So as his people, and we will see in the book of Nehemiah, we are called to make sacrifices on this earth. As a matter of fact, it, wouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we strive to be followers of Jesus, we should follow someone who made the ultimate sacrifice. You see, he didn't live a life of luxury on earth, did he? No. His life was filled with sacrifice. His life was filled with selfless acts and selfless love. Then why, as as his followers, do we expect anything different? We should be sacrificing as our King Jesus sacrificed. That is what we are all called to do. Before we dive in, I want to open in prayer this morning and ask God to just really work on our hearts as we dive into his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the record of the book of Nehemiah. God, I thank you that you notice each and every name. Each and every person here today, you know them intimately, Father, for you created them in their mother's womb. They are fearfully And wonderfully made. And God, you you know the intent of their heart. You know if there's something that's between you and them. If they still are carrying the weight of their sin and their guilt on themselves. Or if they've trusted Jesus as their freedom. As their deliverer. As their king. And God, you know the attitudes of our heart as we go through our day. And whether or not the things that we're doing are things that are worshipful in your eyes, or if they're just for our own selfish gain. God, judge the attitudes of our heart this morning. We invite you. Show us if there's anything that we need to lay down on your altar this morning. God, we ask that we come out of this morning prepared to be the men and women of sacrifice that you've called us to be for your kingdom's purposes. And God, we thank you that you keep a record of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, we've seen lists. You remember chapter 7? We see a list. What is that list all about? It was a list of those who sacrificed their comfort in Babylon. Yes, they were slaves in Babylon. They were prisoners in Babylon. But they had found a way to, within that setting, to get comfortable. They kind of had their own little comfort zone going. And yet, Zerubbabel called them and said, God wants us to go back to Jerusalem. And many of them probably thought, Jerusalem, the last time we were there, we got completely destroyed. It was a total mess, and I hear that it's a mess still today. Why would I go there? And yet, there's a list of the men and women who were willing to lay down their comfort in Babylon and sacrifice to return to Jerusalem for the kingdom of God's purpose. And to rebuild the city. Chapter 8 lists those who sacrificed their own priorities. Once they got to Jerusalem, there was their own priorities. They had land where they needed to farm. They had things they needed to do. And yet they, did, they said, you know what, we're going to put all of that on hold. Because we hear that there's a Bible conference that is being held at the water gate in the city. And we need to drink from living water. And so we're going to go and put everything else on hold, we're going to make a sacrifice, and we're going to go listen to the word of God being taught. Do you realize that God knows who's in attendance today? He knows who made a sacrifice today. Is there other things you could be doing? Certainly there is. This world is competing for your allegiance, your attention, and your devotion. And God says, who is willing to to come and, and sacrifice their selfishness, in order to listen to my word. And he calls us together each week to do so. And so he called them. There's a list of people in chapter 8 that are, that are recorded for us that made the sacrifice to attend this Bible conference. And in chapter 10, there are 84 names. How many were on the Declaration of Independence? 56, you guys were listening. There were 84 names. These are names of men who represent the heads of families in Israel. And what did these 84 men do? They were willing to put their seals. This is their family seal. And they dedicated to saying this. We have heard the word of God, and we as a member, as a lead of our family, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And they dedicated themselves to following God's law and God's ways and in chapter 11 we find a list of those who are willing to sacrifice and move out of their farmlands out of places where hey this is great we're back in our land and they're willing to to heed Nehemiah's call that we need people in the city if God's temple is there and God's name is there and God's reputation is there we need God's people there as well to serve And to defend the city. And they made the sacrifice to move off of their lands and into the city. Nehemiah calls on the people to present three sacrifices to the Lord for the sake of the city. Sacrifices that God is still calling his people to make today. For the sake of the church that he wants to build in this world. Do you realize Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's still calling people to himself, to his church, to his bride. And one day he will come, and he will take us home. Amen? Amen. Amen. We see the first sacrifice in the beginning of chapter 11. Join me there. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remained in their towns. The people praised all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew that there was all of these people that had returned under Zerubbabel, and along with him as well. But they had settled down in in the surrounding villages and towns around Jerusalem, and yet nobody really wanted to go back into the city. Because city life is difficult. City life is where the challenges are. It's where the threats are. Oh, it's so easy to move to places that can be comfortable, is it not? But God's calling us to stand our ground where he wants us. He's placed us in where he wants us to be. And he wants us to represent him there. Well, his name was on Jerusalem. And he wanted his people to be there to represent him in that place. Back then, they were to be a city on a hill. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. And how could they be a light if no one was in the city? And so Nehemiah called them to make a sacrifice. And there were volunteers who were willing to do it, but they, how did they determine? They cast lots. Could you imagine if one-tenth of the church was just called to go somewhere where maybe you don't want to be? and plant a new church would you be willing to make that sacrifice to give up all to go where God is calling us to be that's a big sacrifice these people were willing to make and it leads me to my first point my first sacrifice number one God is calling us to give him your life to give him your life this is everything this is wholehearted devotion This is the idea that you may have dreams and plans for your life, but are you willing to lay them down when he calls your name? Are you willing to think about what is God's plan for my life, not just what is my plan for my life? Because God wants our wholehearted devotion. He wants everything. There should be no higher authority, no higher devotion than than to our God in our lives. And yet this world will try and pry that devotion and pry that priority out from under us. It certainly doesn't want us to be devoted to our, our great God. Don't stand on that kind of truth. We're labeled with all kinds of names if we do. We're a bigot, a hater, a homophobe, you name it. The people of God are called names by people in this world Why? Because there is a battle between light and darkness. And it's a spiritual battle. And it's raging. But the question is, are we willing to stand on the truth of God and give him our wholehearted devotion, no matter what it costs? That's the question that I believe the people of Nehemiah in Nehemiah's day, they were willing to answer. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, talks about this. It says this, Therefore... Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. The context of that verse is 11 chapters of Romans where Paul lays out what God has done through his son Jesus Christ. He lays out the problem of sin in chapter 1. He lays out how we have all gone astray in chapter 3. And by the time he reaches chapter 6, he is is culminating with, but God has provided the solution, and it's in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 23. And then he talks about in chapter 7 how it's a battle. Even those who accept Jesus battle our flesh. It doesn't go away. Every day is a battle. We either choose to follow God's will or what our flesh wants. And in chapter 8, he gives us hope and says, even though we're in that battle and we can feel it, let me tell you and assure you of this, there is no condemnation. There is no guilt that remains for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And he talks about that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he goes on to talk about, but what about the plan for Israel? What about the plan for the church? How does that all work together? And when he reaches chapter 12, he says, in light of all of this marvelous mystery of God's grace, how do we respond? We respond by giving him our lives. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is how we worship him. This is how we is how we make our sacrifice. Verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 11, these are the provi- uh, provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now, some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each on his own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. What is he saying? He's saying of all the people that came back, some were living in the surrounding towns, but some made the sacrifice to live in Jerusalem. And then he begins to list in memory, in forever memory, those who made the sacrifice to move into the city. And he says this, from the descendants of Judah, verse 6, the descendants of Perez, that's one of the sons of Judah, who lived in Jerusalem, totaled 468 able men. Verse 7, from the descendants of Benjamin, 928 men. Benjamin and Judah were the two tribes of the southern kingdom that had been defeated years ago by Babylon. Judgment had fell on God's people because of their sin, because of their rebellious hearts. God disciplined his people, but now he had brought them back. There was restoration for his people. God is a faithful God even when we aren't. Is God a God of second chances? My friend Andy Upton, if you ever have the privilege to pray with him, you will hear, thank you God that you're a God of second chances. Because that's what he understands God to be. He's lived it, he's experienced it, as we all have, have we not? 1,396 men, along with their wives and their children, moved into the city from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. This was the remnant of the southern kingdom. They made the sacrifice to abandon the comfort and the security and the family land of the countryside and go instead and relocate to Jerusalem. The Bible calls them valiant men, mighty men, brave fighting men, men of wealth and substance. That's the word here, men such as Boaz, who's represented in Ruth. You remember the 56 signers of the Declaration? What kind of men were they? Were they desperate men who were broke? No, they were men of wealth and substance. And these men of wealth and substance said, you know what? There's something much more important than just maintaining my comfort, wealth, and substance. And that is the cause of freedom." In this case, the men in Nehemiah's day said there's something more important, and it's the cause of the kingdom of God. And they laid down their comfort on the altar of sacrifice. Next are listed the priests, the Levites, and the temple workers. These came from the line of Levi, the tribe of Levi. Like Jeremiah Jeremiah, They chose to remain with God's people, even though they may have been safer or comfortable elsewhere. Remember, the the men of Levi, they weren't given land, but they were given cities to live in. Cities around, and they were to commute to Jerusalem to do their work at the temple, and then they could go home to the comfort of their cities. Levitical cities were established by God. And yet Nehemiah says, we need more people in the city." would any of you Levites, would any of you priests be willing to sacrifice living in your cities and go instead and move into Jerusalem? And then the Bible lists in verse 10 of Nehemiah 11. From the priests and their associates who carried on the work for the temple, 822 men. Verse 13, 242 men. And verse 14, and 128. The Levites in the holy city, verse 18, the Levites in the holy city totaled 284, and verse 19, the gatekeepers, 172 men. Verse 20, the rest of the Israelites with the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, each on his ancestral property. There were 1396 men from Judah and Benjamin. There was 1192 priests from 6 family heads. Six heads of the priests, 284 Levites, and 172 security guards, gatekeepers, men who knew how to guard something, right? Why was it important to have guards? Because the temple housed the treasury of God. Where do you think the people brought all their gifts and their sacrifices? It was to the city, to the temple. Well, if anybody wanted to pillage and find a way to loot, where do you think they would go? They would go straight to the city and try and take what was in the temple. That's why there was a need for men to stand up and say, no, you don't. You're not getting in here unless you have the right motive. You're not getting in here unless you are here to worship the God of heaven. 3,044 men in all, along with their families. Some suggest that in this time, the city only had a few people living in it. And overnight, because of this moment in Nehemiah's history, the city swelled to over 10,000 people. Suddenly, the city, Jerusalem, was a thriving and bustling city again. It was a city where God's name could go forth and be proclaimed with great strength. And it was all because of the sacrifice of the people. The priests officiated at the altar. The Levites assisted them. Some supervised and maintained the building. Others ministered with prayer and praise. All were important. There were nearly 200 men that were appointed to guard the temple. All of these men served God in the city. You know, I thought about this morning that in order for me to stand here, and teach the word of God or, or Pastor Kurt or anyone else to come forward and be able to have this moment. Do you realize there are numerous people in our church family making sacrifices to make this happen? I thought about it and I made a list. There are 8 to, t- eight to 12 children's workers right now serving our kids. So that they could be ministered to and you guys could not go- be going nuts and being distracted by children. There are four to six that were on our worship team each week that are sacrificing, and they're spending time before we even come on Sunday to prepare the songs and to get our hearts ready to receive God's word. There are three or four sound and video techs in the back. You can turn around and wave at them. They've made a sacrifice. They're here early. They're, they're, they're somewhat informed on how all this stuff works, and they try and make sure that people can have a pleasant experience. If you have any complaints go see them (laughs) there are four to six greeters and connect team members that are in the lobby or out in front when you pull into the the driveway of the church who are here to greet and welcome you there are two or three cafe workers helping you to have a, a coffee in your hand and and a donut or a bagel or something to eat there are four to six prayer team members that are here praying for the service, praying for the Word of God, praying and being available for you if you need prayer during our time of response. 25 to 36 people every week are hard at work to ensure that I can just stand here and declare the Word of God to you. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for men and women willing to serve and to make a sacrifice. Amen? God uses many different people with different gifts and skill set to get his work done in this world. The important thing is we give ourselves to the Lord so that he can use us as tools to accomplish his work. Note that Nehemiah lists the temple ministers in more detail in Nehemiah 12, 1 through 26. Sacrifice number one is to give him your life wholeheartedly. Sacrifice number two is to give him your praise and thanksgiving. You realize that the people had completed the wall. The work was done. It was time to dedicate the wall. And yet they could have thought, by my strength I've accomplished this. By my own efforts, the city looks good. Are we not tempted sometimes to take credit and rob it from God? Sure. And God says, no, give me the thanksgiving. Give me the praise. Do you have something good in your life? Do you have a good relationship in your life? Do you have a good job? Are you bringing home a paycheck? Then give me the credit. Give credit where credit is due. God is asking for your praise and our praise and thanksgiving. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore, through Christ, let us continually offer up, to God, a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Nehemiah 12, 27. Listen quickly. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the de- dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Verse 28. The, si- the singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem. Verse 29, for the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. They had come from all the surrounding area. Verse 30, when the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they had got ready to serve and to worship God, they also purified the people and the gates and the wall. Verse 31, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Verse 36, Ezra the scribe led that procession. Verse 37, and at the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David to the water gate on the east. There were two groups that that went up on top of the wall, and they're having a celebration. They're they're praising God. They're thanking God for what he had accomplished. What's what's ironic here is, do you remember the complaint that was given by those who were detractors from the work? That wall's going to be so weak that even a little fox gets on top of it, it's going to crumble. Now here's 10,000 people walking on top of the walls. Had God established something firm through his people? He had. And they're celebrating it, and they're taking possession of it. The two groups met on the west wall, presumably at the valley gate. And they said, hey, you guys go this way, we're going to go this way, and let's meet over there at the temple on the other side. And we're going to celebrate and praise and thank God. What an exciting moment to be a part of. Does God want our praise and worship? Does he want it just like... Come thou fount of every blessing. Or does he want us to come from an enthusiastic place in our hearts? We should be excited. We get excited about all kinds of other things in life. My Mets won a ball game yesterday. I was excited. Or did they lose? I can't remember. But how often do we get excited about the things that are temporal in this world and we forget to get excited about what really matters? Let's be the people that praise God with enthusiasm. Amen? Amen. Verse 38, the second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them, Nehemiah speaking, I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, The Sheep Gate was just outside the temple, where they brought in sheep as sacrifices to God. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, verse 41, with their trumpets. In verse 42, the choirs sang under the direction of Jezrehiah. Verse 43. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. What a celebration. They were excited about what God had done and who he was. Amen? Amen. After marching on top of the wall, they met at the temple area and in verse 44 through 47, we see the final thing that I'm going to challenge us and then I'm going to ask us to respond this morning. Verse 44, at that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the town, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests, and levites. Hopefully those of us who serve please you guys. Right? We're trying to do we're trying to be faithful in our responsibilities as a pastor. I was here till midnight last night. Was I here because I like to be here? Not necessarily. I was here because I still needed to be prepared for this morning. And you make sacrifices. Trust me, Pastor Kurt, I've seen him at all kinds of hours working. To be prepared. I see the musicians working to be prepared. Could they be doing other things with their time? Certainly. But they know that they want to be faithful to God, and they want to have a pleasing environment for his people. To be, to be challenged to worship God. Verse 45, they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the singers and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions. In other words, their budget was met. All the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. They contributed the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites. And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Sacrifice number one, God's calling us to give us, give him our lives wholeheartedly. Number two, we are called to give him our praise and our thanksgiving. Enthusiastically. And number three, we're called to give him our resources. We're called to give him our resources. Does everything we have belong to him anyway? Yes, and he's just asking us for a portion in return. But a portion faithfully of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Can you give your time and talent today? You can. Serve at the Freedom Celebration. Serve God. Serve our community. And love them the way he's called us to love them. Can you give of your treasure? Absolutely. Be faithful in giving him your resources. Acts chapter 2 and I'm going to close with this I'm going to ask if the worship team would come Pastor Kurt's going to lead us in a response of communion this morning I invite them to come as I close all the believers Acts two forty four says all the believers were together and had everything in common it's a beautiful picture in the book of Acts of the early church they sold their possessions and their goods and they gave to anyone as he had need Think about how the early church responded to their possessions. Was it, this is mine? Or was it, this is God's resource to use however he leads me to use it? It was the latter, was it not? If somebody had a need, they would sell something they owned in order to meet that need. They weren't beholden to their junk, their temporalness. They were living for eternity. Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what was the response to all of this beautiful worship and sacrifice that was being made on behalf of the church? In the early church, how, what was the result? Listen to this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Church, if we want that kind of future, if we want that kind of result, we have to begin with living as people of sacrifice. Give him our whole heart. Give him our praise and our thanksgiving, and give him our resources. Amen? Amen. 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 Pastor Kurt, will you come and share?